Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. We are on episode 15 of The Quiet Part Loud, and we're coming at you. You know, we're coming at you thick and fast with these episodes, and I hope you guys are enjoying the content. Um, You know, usually we cover stuff like politics and news, current events, uh, you know, what's going on in the world of tech, film, you know, but we also like to cover sports as well. Now, not a lot of sport that I pay particular attention to, uh, but two are definitely the NBA and uh, even more so mixed martial arts and specifically within that, the UFC. So today's show is going to be for any fight fans that are listening, uh, any combat sport enthusiasts out there. And what we're going to do is we're going to break down uh, the upcoming UFC event this weekend, UFC 222 pay-per-view and that is headlined by uh, Chris Cyborg and Yana Kunitskaya. I hope I've got that last name right. That's as good as it's going to get for right now until somebody corrects me on it. Um, but hell of a fight, hell of a card. Uh, I was looking at it uh, ahead of the show and some good fights, some good potential matchups on this card. Um, and we're going to jump right into it. Uh, also going to speak a little bit about the uh, Deontay Wilder fight coming up this weekend uh, for the uh, for the title. And the winner of that fight is uh, most likely going to set up the matchup with Anthony Joshua. But we're going to spend most of the show talking about UFC 222 going through the card. Uh, we're going to run through... Uh, most of the fights on the card, just to guys, just to give you guys um, a preview of what's coming up on Sunday, the fourth of March, at the T-Mobile Arena. And for anybody in the UK that's interested in tuning into this, it'll be shown on BT Sport. Uh, and the main card starts at three a.m. So if you fancy staying up and having a late one. There you go. If not, pop that sucker on to record and uh, and watch it when you get home from work on Monday or whenever you've got time. So, first things first, because I'm such a big UFC fan, have been forever. You know, watch the sport grow, watch the UFC be sold uh, to William Morris. And, uh, you know, kind of go from this, you know, pure sport to what is now effectively an entertainment product. With an entertainment product, you have to really focus on growing your fighters, making people aware of who they are, telling a story, you know, constructing a narrative around these characters, um, you know, that's a little bit more than just, you know, Mike Perry getting on the mic and calling somebody an asshole or a pussy or Colby Covington, you know, trying to throw his, you know, pseudo racist slurs out and, you know, just being a provocateur. We have to tell narratives because there are great stories in the UFC across a ton of these different personalities. And one thing that kind of fucks me off because it's really, it's really promotion 101. And I mean, who am I to talk about promotion when, the UFC has a guy like Dana White, who is arguably the best promoter 
not only in combat sports, but I would say probably in sports ever. Um, what he's done to the UFC to effectively, you know, over the last, let's call it 20 years. I know the UFC has been around for longer than that, but let's call it last 20 years. What Dana White's done to bring this to the mainstream, to bring fighting and, and UFC and mixed martial arts to the mainstream is, is unparalleled because, you know, we really haven't seen a new sport per se come, be launched, and then grow to join the ranks of all of the major sports globally because, you know, I don't know if it still is, but it certainly was uh, up until a couple of years ago, the fastest growing sport in the world, um, hitting, you know, the most new territories uh, of any sport uh, and just a massive ascension. And it was a beautiful thing to see. But I don't know if it's, I, I don't know what the reason is, but it's kind of unexcusable that if I go to the UFC website, and it's not like that anymore, I think they've changed it, um, but up until yesterday, the main event for this card is Chris Cyborg, who is, in my and many other people's opinion, the greatest female fighter that's ever stepped inside of an octagon, right? She's an absolute savage, um, and now that they've actually shone a light on her, really shows like that she's actually a really good person. Um, you know, obviously there's a little bit of a language barrier there, but she's, she seems like a super sweet lady um, and has been through a fucking shitload in her life. And again, there's a story to tell there, right? But what fucks me off is that when I go to the tail of the tape page on the UFC website, her opponent is a shadow. It's a silhouette of another fighter. I mean... They've got a they've got a picture of her now. When I'm looking on the mobile site, they've got a picture of her there, just a headshot. But I mean, fuck, can we grab something online and and stick it in there? Can we just call her in and say, hey, we just need a quick full body shot of you, um, so we can stick it up on the profile? I mean, to have a pay per view that, luckily enough, people outside of uh, North America don't pay for pay per views. Uh, we get them as part of like sports packages. So I I subscribe to BT Sport. Uh, their sport package and I get the UFC I get you know NBA I get you know different American sports included in that package and thank God right because this is a pay-per-view and in America they're asking for like $70 for this pay-per-view and it you know you're a you're a newcomer to this sport or you want to check it out because you've heard all this stuff about cyborg and then you go on to kind of check out who she's fighting and you know what the deal is with that and it's her versus a silhouette like some like shadow from Mortal Kombat or something like that. I'm just, I, it's the simplest, most basic shit, and they fucking they just they don't do it. And I just, I, for the life of me, I can't understand who has not said something about this within the organization because it just seems like the most basic shit that you have to get right if you really want to get people to buy a pay per view, which is not cheap. You know, seventy seventy dollars for. For an event that could be, you know, full of duds or, you know, full of great fights, doesn't matter. What you've got to do is you've got to rest on building these personalities up, getting people interested in it. Because uh, Kunitskaya, this uh, Yana who Cyborg is fighting, you know, she's, she's let's call her photogenic. You know, she's she's relatively easy on the eyes and, you know, she's... Um, She's Eastern European, so she's got that market that they can bring into it. And with, you know, with stars like Joanna and Jacek, 
um, Khabib, you know, people like this from that part of the world. It's a huge market and a huge market potential. And I mean, personally, I'll get into the breakdown of the fights and things, but what if she, what if she like, let's say she starches Cyborg or even better, it's a war and it goes five rounds and she's like, you know, she, she comes onto the scene as this beast that, you know, took Cyborg to the limit and, you know, traded with her and, you know, hell of a fight, blah, blah, blah. We don't know who she is. And then you've got a champion that nobody's aware of. And more significantly, nobody cares about. So the next time she fights to defend that belt, hypothetically, if she was to win, who's going to pay for that? Who's going to tune into that? So I think there's work to be done from the marketing perspective of this. Um, and whoever's in charge of that at the UFC, guys, you need to step your game up. You know, not only does the UFC website in its entirety need a revamp, but to have to have matchups on a card that is a couple of days away that you're expecting people to pay for, to not have something as simple as a as a bio image on the tail of the tape is just it's amateur. It's it's real amateur shit. Um so please sort it out. You know, you've got Brazil versus Russia in the main event, but going to the card, we're going to kind of rewind back uh, because there are some matchups on here that I think are quite interesting. We're not going to really touch uh, the first couple uh, that are on the prelims. We've got Jordan Johnson, 8-0 USA versus Adam Milstead. Uh, you know, these guys are, are making a name for themselves and, and fantastic, you know, Put in a good performance, and we'll probably talk about you next time. Um, Brian Caraway versus Cody Stammen. Uh, that's happening as well in the 135-pound division. Uh, Brian Caraway is Misha Tate's uh, fiancé, husband. I'm not sure if they're married or whatever. Uh, so, he, you know, he's always good for a bang, and we'll see what comes. You know, could be a good fight. Uh, and then we've got Mike Pyle versus Zach Otto. Uh, in the welterweight division, Mike Pyle, you know, kind of longtime UFC fighter. Uh, I mean, his record is 27 and 13. So, you know, he's long in the tooth in the game. And, uh, you know, he always puts up a, a, a good showing. So we'll see what happens there. Moving on, we're going to get into some of the other stuff, uh, some of the other fights on, on the card. Uh, and coming up afterwards is CB Dalloway versus Hector Lombard and I mean this to me is a battle of guys that I think you know need a win or that's probably it I mean with CB Dalloway I, I guess we're kind of rolling into when is enough is enough and to an extent, same with Hector Lombard. I mean, looking at C.B. Dalloway's record, you're looking at uh, his last win. Uh, he won his last fight. That was against Ed Herman. Um, but before that, it's lost to Marquardt, uh, Nate Marquardt, uh, lost to Michael Bisbing, lost to Lyoto Machida. Uh, and then 
taking those last those three losses into account were in 2014. So his win versus Ed Herman was after a loss to Nate Marquardt where he got KO'd and then he took some time off and you know needed it but then came back and and won against Ed Herman um on the on the tough 25 finale show and for me it's just like uh, do I need to see CB Dalloway fight anymore probably not um you know good fighter but <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me um but again <sighs> It doesn't end well when you just fight to keep fighting and, you know, having the passion. <sighs> Fuck sakes. Sorry, guys. Um, you know, having the passion to fight is one thing, but taking care of your long term health is more important. And I think that's really where we're t what we're talking about with C.B. Dalloway, especially if he's fighting a guy like Hector Lombard, who, you know, looking at him talk about needing a fucking win and somebody who's going to probably come into this fight, you know, desperate to, I would say he's going to rush, 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 rush and just go at him and try to finish this thing nice and quick. Because if we start looking at these records, I mean, I just outlined uh, Dalloway's record. I mean, we're going, his last four fights take us back, you know, into, uh, you know, the past four years not very active, one fight in the last year, kind of on the back nine of the career. But if we look at if we look at Hector Lombard, I mean, right, last fight was against Anthony Smith. Big, you know, burly kind of fighter making a name for himself coming up. Lost. Before that he fought Johnny Hendricks, lost. Before that, he fought uh, Dan Henderson, lost. Before that, Neil Magny, lost. So that takes us back to the beginning of 2016. So four losses in a row. And the fight before that was a no contest with Josh Berkman. So talk about, you know, needing a win. Hector Lombard is going to have to come out with some serious aggression, as he always does, because that's the type of fighter he is when you're that muscle-bound. And let's be honest, you know, there's not too many bodies in the UFC that look like Hector Lombard um, before and after USADA kicked in, by the way. Um, he's he's a monster, but the style's kind of... The, the style's either effective because you catch somebody while you've got that whirlwind of energy, or you gas... And then you become susceptible. I mean, I think, did Neil Magny submit him? Um, Dan Henderson knocked him out with like an elbow from like a transitional like grappling exchange on the ground. Um, Hector Lombard needs a win or he's probably going to be out of the UFC, I would imagine, because I don't know too many fighters that get five losses in a row and get to keep their contract or get to keep fighting in the organization. Um, you know, it's a it's a light heavyweight fight, or sorry, it's a middleweight fight. Um, there's really nothing at stake here other than whether or not you're going to get to fight again in the UFC. So, 
that can cause a scenario where both guys are going to come out and go for it. I know Hector Lombard is. I don't see him being patient. Um, I don't know what CB Dalloway is going to show uh, for the fight. He's always going to be game, but... You know, where's he at? Where's he at with his career? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not inside of this. So um, it's going to be an interesting one. We'll see how it goes. But that kind of kicks off the card uh, in terms of the fights that I actually want to cover. The next one is really interesting because I I love the guy fighting in, in the next fight, and that's John Dodson. Um, so it's John Dodson versus uh, Pedro Munoz. Um, John Dodson... You know, it doesn't seem like that long ago that he was fighting for the title, but it was actually like five fights ago that he lost to DJ. Um, But then he's kind of been trading um, wins and losses. He lost uh, to Demetrius Johnson, as everybody does. Uh, But then he beat Manny Gamburian. But then he lost to John Lineker. And then he beat Eddie Wineland, but then he lost to um, uh, uh, Marlon Marais. Uh, and that was a decision. I th- it could have went either way, really. But, you know, John Dodson also needs something pretty definitive. And everybody's seen John Dodson fight. Everybody knows what he's all about. You know, he beat TJ Dillashaw, who is now the... Um, 125 champ and is it 125 champ yes 125 champ uh, 145 champ 135 champ no he's a 135 champ tj is because dodson's come up to 135 um he's got power He's got athleticism, he's got speed, he's got timing, he's got cardio. He literally has everything that you could ask from a mixed martial arts fighter. And it's just one of those things where the chips haven't fallen uh, fall in the right spot for him on the right occasions. But you know, he wasn't he wasn't far off being a champ and was being looked at as a, as a, you know, as a serious, serious competitor to Demetrius Johnson before we saw them fight. And then obviously you see what kind of an athlete and what kind of a fighter um, Mighty Mouse is. But Dodson's amazing. And I would always kind of, I would always bet on him. I would never bet against Dodson unless he's fighting somebody like TJ or somebody like DJ. Um, You know, because with all of his other fights, I've always kind of picked uh, Dodson to come out on top. And it just sucks that, you know, he's had a couple of, you know, wins and losses traded back and forth right then because, you know, it fucks up your record fucks up your your positioning and you know he's 20 and 9 now so you know fighting uh fighting Munoz um who just looking back at his record he's on a four fight win streak against uh he beat Rob Font got performance of the night he beat uh Damian Stasiak uh, Justin Scoggins, another performance of the night, and then Russell Doan, another performance of the night. So he's going to bring it, and Dodson's got to be on his bike, and he's got to be, you know, he's got to kind of mind his P's and Q's. So I'm expecting this to be a hell of a fight. Um, Munoz is 15-2, and two, so, you know, he's, he's trying to climb. And if he's on a five-fight win streak, then, you know, he's got some momentum behind him, and... 
a win over Dodson, big name. It'll be his biggest name on his uh, on his resume to date. So I expect this one to be an absolute burner and uh, and and could easily be a fight of the night and again performance of the night um, if they uh, if they both get on it. So uh, looking back at the last two, I just want to make calls on these and uh, as we go along, um, I think that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Hector Lombard. Um, I think he's gonna overwhelm CB Dalloway. I think he's gonna come forward, and I think uh, CB Dalloway's chin has just got too many miles on it. And I think he's gonna get caught. And I think Hector Lombard's gonna finish him. Um, either I'm gonna say I'm gonna say first round uh, ref stoppage on the Hector Lombard fight. John Dodson, Pedro Munoz. Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, I want to say I'm going to call second round TKO for for Dodson. I always I always just go to Dodson. Um, do I want to go that way? Do I think that's what's going to happen? I think. No, I'm gonna change. Fuck, I'm gonna change. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Pedro. I'm gonna go with uh, Munoz on this, um, and I'm gonna go Munoz. Uh, I'm gonna go Munoz. I'm gonna go Munoz by decision. How about that? Fuck, talk about putting yourself out there. Okay, so. On to the next one. Benil Dariush versus Alexander uh, Alexander Hernandez. I love Dariush. He looks like, you know, he's one of those fighters, like a gay guard Musasi for me, who like always kind of looks like they've woken up from a nap. But then as soon as the bell rings, they're ready to go. There's no panic on their face. There's no caught up in the moment. There's no, there's none of that. With Benil Dariush, he kind of, you know, it just, he's like, he's kind of just like, whatever. <laughs> and, and I like that. There's something about that kind of stoic, not bothered by the moment, uh, type of demeanor that kind of gives a little serial killer edge, um, on how I look at it. But I really like Darius. He's a hell of a fighter. Um, he's, uh, he's had a bit of a tough go about, about him. Uh, over the last few fights, but he's got some notable wins and is not to be slept on. So notable wins, right? So he's beaten. Uh, how far back do we want to go to have a look at this guy? Um, let's go Jim Miller, right? So I'm, I'm, we're going back a few years here, but it kind of stacks up in some of the kind of key things on his resume to kind of put it into perspective as to the kind of fighter that he is. Um, he beat Jim Miller. He's beaten Michael Johnson. He lost to Michael Chiesa, but then he beat James Vick. Obviously, James Vick now and James Vick when they fought in uh, June of 16, different fighter. James Vick is a completely different fighter now. He is coming up. He is definitely one to watch and a very, very exciting fighter. Um, wasn't the same fighter back then, obviously, but still, nevertheless, um, he's a long, huge guy for the division. Um, 
and he um, and he got the win over James Vick, did uh, Darius. So really good. Uh, after that, on the Dos Anjos Ferguson card, he beat Rashid uh, Magomedov. You know, never an easy fight with anybody whose last name uh, ends in O-V. Um, and then he lost to Barboza, <coughs> which is, you know, nothing to nothing to hold your head about. Bar- Barboza's, a, you know, he's a savage. Um, but then he got a draw with Evan Dunham in his last fight. So he had two fights in 2017, March and October. Last fight was October. Um, so it's been a few months since we've seen Dariush. Um, but always look forward to seeing him fight and his opponent. I don't, I gotta be honest. I don't know a lot about, um, Alexander Hernandez. He's eight and one. He's 25 years old. And if I go into his profile on the UFC, there's nothing there. So I'm, I'm just wondering if this is his UFC debut, um, coming in at lightweight. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't give a lot on this guy um, because I, I honestly don't know. Uh, but I do like Dariush, and just off of familiarity, I'm gonna have to go with Dariush. But this uh, Hernandez kid is eight and one, so we'll see what he brings. We'll see what he brings. I didn't I didn't have a look at him. I was looking at um, some other stuff uh, on the lead up to this show. So apologies for that. But I'm, I'm gonna go with Dariush just because I like him, and uh, you know don't. You know, don't use my predictions as your betting line. <laughs> you know, don't don't use my picks for your picks if you're going to be putting money down on this because, you know, I'm swayed by guy's style, whether I like him or not. You know, if I'm a big fan of them personally, um, you know, maybe what I remember off of their last fights and, and the specifics around their previous performances. So I can't go with... Um, Alexander Hernandez because I don't fucking know him. Um, I do know Benil Dariush and... He's going to be looking for a win in this fight. So I'm hoping, you know, his methodical kind of striking is going to be good. Wrestling's decent. Um, So uh, let's see what the Iranian can bring because, you know, the Iranians are very good wrestlers and Dariush uh, has a good ground game. So we'll see. Um, But moving on, moving on, we have Mackenzie Dern coming to the UFC. Now... Mackenzie Dern is fighting a girl called Ashley Yoder. Don't know Ashley, but I know Mackenzie. And Mackenzie is a jiu-jitsu black belt. Her lineage, you can go and look up for yourself. Um, she is she's about as pedigree as you can get from a Brazilian jiu-jitsu point of view. Not only that, but she's quite easy on the eyes. She is 5-0. and oh. She's 24 years old. Brazilian. She's a BJJ specialist. And I know she's been working on her striking. This Ashley Yoder girl is 30. She's five and three, bit of a salty record. She lost to Angela Hill. She's also lost to Justine Kish. Um, 
That's in 2016 and then 2017. So she hasn't fought since she lost to Angela Hill in July of last year. And, you know, I haven't seen her in person and her profile picture on the main page versus when you go into it look a lot different. So I got to check out some of the embeddeds that are going on, but I don't like to get other people's opinions on these fights before I go ahead and break them down. I want to give my unadulterated, um, uncompromised uh, uh, opinion on the fights and whatever breakdown I decide to do without the influence of, you know, kind of some of the main characters in uh, in the UFC press, Luke Thomas, Brendan Schaub, Joe Rogan, um, Ariel Hawani, you know, these guys, it, I could easily just go and listen to them and then regurgitate for you guys who don't listen to them. But I don't want to do that. I want to I want to just come off the cuff. And if I don't know something about a fighter, well, I'm not an encyclopedia. I, I'll I'll look up the fighters, um, you know, that I'm more interested in, uh, and I'll bring that to you guys. So it's not going to be what those guys do. Um, I'm going to give you my analysis on it. I'm going to give you my predictions on it. And if you like it, fantastic. If you don't, go listen to the MMA Hour. Um, but Mackenzie, Mackenzie Dern, if she, the crowd are going to love her. The fans are going to love her. She is very, very marketable, let's put it that way. And I know the UFC are expecting her to come in here and put on a really, really solid performance. I don't know how far along her striking is, but I imagine she's going to come in pretty well prepared. But I'm super keen to see how she responds because on the, on the, um, on the jiu-jitsu mats, she's a fucking savage. She is an absolute savage. Um... I think her only loss in jiu-jitsu is to Gabby Garcia, who is like, she, she would look, if you don't know who Gabby Garcia is, she would look like, she would be a similar size to like Francis Ngannou. That's how terrifyingly big she is. And if you don't know Gabby Garcia, go and Google her. Go and go and check out some of her competitions on um, on YouTube. She's the biggest woman I've ever seen in my life. She's enormous and she's terrifying looking. Um, they've tried to kind of pretty her up a little bit and you know not make her seem like such um, a gigantic fucking Neanderthal savage looking woman because she's a she's on every steroid you can ever fucking imagine she's enormous and uh and i believe her and mackenzie dern had a had, had a had a uh bjj match uh jiu-jitsu match and i i believe uh gabby garcia beat her and that was the only time mackenzie dern's ever lost and just to give you some context gabby garcia i think is 220 pounds and mackenzie dern's 115 so yeah take that for what it's worth but Mackenzie Dern is Mackenzie Dern is is a very pretty young lady and a very skilled competitor, which is a perfect mix when you're looking for a new superstar uh, to appeal to a female audience and to a male audience, I might add, because uh, Mackenzie Dern's quite easy on the eyes in terms of you know she she's pretty not just for a fighter if that makes sense right like. Uh, I'm going to leave it because I'll go down a fucking rabbit hole with that. But interesting fight. I, I don't know anything about Ashley Yoder, but I know Mackenzie Dern's a savage and I would absolutely be banking on 
uh, Mackenzie Dern to get the finish there. Most likely by submission because it's Mackenzie Dern. So um, I don't see I don't see any KO. I don't see any ref stoppage uh, from strikes or anything like that. I see straight submission. She's probably gonna she's probably gonna use a little bit of stand up to get inside, get a hold of her. And if she gets a hold of her, she's gonna go for a ride. And if she goes for a ride, this Ashley Yoder girl is gonna get submitted. I just think Mackenzie Dern's pedigree is is just too good. It's just too good. Um, so Mackenzie Dern on that one by by uh, by submission. Moving swiftly on, we've got another female comp um, uh, competition. We've got another uh, contest with two ladies. This time in the. Uh, 135 pound division, and that's going to be Cat Alpha Cat Zinganu versus uh, Caitlin Vieira. Caitlin Vieira, nine and zero from Brazil. She's on a three fight win streak, and her last um, her last win was against uh, Sarah McMahon. So that will tell you something about uh, her grappling. Her ground game, her judo game, uh, Caitlin Vieira is is no slouch. You know, I mean, Sarah McMahon was an Olympic wrestler, right? And I know she's had some troubles, and she, I think she just lost was it last weekend. Um, but you know, Sarah McMahon, you know, she's a strong girl, and if you know, if if this girl kind of put work in I'm just checking the result on it because it slips my mind yeah she beat her by submission she beat her by submission so you know Ashley Evan Smith Kelly um, Fast Colts um, and Sarah McMahon these are her last three wins and she's 26 years old Bantamweight. weight it's going to be it's going to be you know it's going to be a contest of basically whether or not Cat can keep her off her hit her with strikes and what kind of cat shows up? Because cat's had a tough life. She's had some really tough results. But Kat Zingano is a fucking monster. Okay, I know she lost like ages ago to Ronda Rousey. Um, that was February 2015, back when you know everybody still thought Ronda Rousey was invincible uh, before the game caught up and then overtook her at the speed of light. Um, but do not sleep on Kat Zingano, right? Because if we just look back, she's coming off two losses. One, you know, in 2016, or 2015, apologies, um, to Ronda Rousey. And then she lost to Juliana Pena um, in 2016. But, and it's a big but because it was ages ago, but Kat Zingano beat Amanda Nunez. Who is the current champion? And I know, you know, MMA math is bullshit and you never know on the day what a matchup is going to do, what stylistically a fighter is going to come into a fight with, etc., etc. But the thing about it is pedigree, right? And, and Alpha Zinganu, Kat has a pedigree that is, that is right up there with the best of them. And she can fucking hang with any female fighter in the world, hands down on any day if she comes with her head right. And if she comes with her head right, this is going to be a hell of a fight. And I think my money 
is probably not going to be on Cat in this fight, just because I don't know what Cat we're going to see, and we haven't seen Cat since her loss in July of 2016. So I'm actually going to go with the undefeated Brazilian on this one. Um, I'm going to go with Vieira. I'm going to go with Caitlin on this. Um, but that's not to say that if Cat shows up with her head right training camp right again i haven't watched any of the coverage yet so i don't know what shape she's coming in i don't know how her weight cut is you know some of these girls have fucking terrible weight cuts and it just diminishes them in the fight so so bad again we've seen cat come out and beat amanda nunez we've seen cat come out and we're going back a few years for sure but we've seen cat beat misha tate another former champion obviously now retired but you know no slouch do not sleep on Cat. And if Cat comes in with her head right, fresh, healed up, rested, feeling good, it could be a nightmare um, for uh, Vieira. But saying that, the momentum, if you look at it, and the uh, frequency in which they've been competing, you have to look at uh, Ketlin. Uh, am I saying it right? Ketlin? Caitlin? Um, you have to look at Vieira as the favorite. And again, I haven't checked any of the odds. I'm going into this blind. I'm literally just looking at the fight card and I'm calling it as I remember it and as I as I as I see it um, from this perspective. So momentum, frequency, uh, lack of ring rust is going to definitely be on Vieira's side. She's got a hell of a you know you kind of know what you're doing. I don't know how her striking is, um, but if it's anything to go off of, you know, with a win against Sarah McMahon, with a win against Ashley Evans Smith, and with a win against uh, Kelly Fashholtz. You know, three in a row, she's got that momentum behind her. She's only going to keep growing and growing and growing. Kat Zingano, again, is in a different part and a different stage of her career. So what will we see there? I'm going to go with uh, Caitlin Vieira to win. I'm going to get her to, I'm going to go um, via submission in that three-round fight. And we'll see if she becomes 10-0 and or if Kat will improve to 10 and 2 and make a real run at uh at climbing back up towards that title uh we'll see we'll see you know this is a fight game and that's what i love about it i could call every favorite on the card and they could all fucking lose you never know what kind of uh what kind of night you're gonna have when you show up to the cage so we'll see what happens there moving on we're going to look at stefan struve versus andre orlovsky a uh, couple of big Bad. <laughs> Couple of big, bad heavyweight motherfuckers. Um, I say that, but, well, we'll go into it. Let's, let, let's, let's go into it. So, let's start with Stefan Struve, right? Because Stefan Struve has has a win against the current champ, right? Knocked out Stipe. Stipe's last loss um, and clearly the biggest win of, um, of, of Strew's life, right? That was, and let's put this in fucking perspective now, that was in 2012, okay? So any of these commentators and shit like that to bring up this win like it's something that matters right now it doesn't Stefan Struve is in a completely different position now than he was when he fought Stipe Miotic um six years ago okay so let's just 
cool out with that. And let's look at the last let's look at the last three fights. He lost to Alexander Volkov, who's a fucking giant as well. Um, probably the biggest uh, combined height in a fight in MMA in MMA history. Uh, he lost. He then he but previous to that he beat uh, Daniel Omelenchuk. Yeah, I don't fucking know how you say that last name. Um, but before that, he beat Bigfoot Silva. You know, Bigfoot Silva is fighting somewhere in China now or Russia. Just basically being paid to be a punching bag. Uh, but he KO'd him. Uh, but we're going back to 2016. You know, he's got a heart murmur or something wrong with his heart. You know, and I just... When I see a guy that should be a basketball player fighting in MMA, for me, it's just like, fuck, man. Every time he gets knocked out, he's got a long way to fall. And there's a lot of a lot of impact that's happening on that little bean pot of a head he's got. Um, but he's got the opportunity to put your lights out as well because he's a fucking heavyweight and all heavyweights effectively have one punch knockout power the margin of error in heavyweight is a lot smaller than it is in other divisions because of the power and the size of these guys um but i don't really know what else to say like i've never been a huge like i've never i've never been like oh stefan strube's fighting can't wait to watch it never have i been that but i think you know, he's a good fighter. He's had some decent performances. But again, I just kind of wonder, like, when are you going to call it a day, basically? Is the heavyweight title ever going to be something that Stefan Struve holds on to? I would absolutely say no, definitely not, you know? And he's fighting Andre Orlovsky in this fight. Andre Orlovsky, you know, he's been fighting for 65 years, you know, ex-heavyweight champ. You know, had a fight of the night performance against, uh, was, it, was it Travis Brown, where they were just, like, each of them knocked each other out basically twice in the first round. Was that, uh, was that, uh, was that him? Yeah, Travis Brown. That was in 2015. Jesus Christ, how long ago was that? Fuck, that seems like uh, not that long ago. But... You guys probably remember that fight, right? If you're an MMA fan, you probably remember that fight because it was just absolute chaos and one of the most one of the one of the craziest single rounds in in a heavyweight fight ever that I've seen in MMA in uh, in the UFC. It was just crazy. You know, they were cracking each other. Travis was on, you know, wobbly legs and would crack him and, and dropped Orlovsky to the floor and got back up. And, you know, it was just that. And he, um, you know, he uh, he won. He got the victory. And that was great for Orlovsky. And we're like, oh, shit, you know. And then he goes on and he beats Frank Mir. Again, still in 2015. Then, okay, then Orlovsky's last two years have looked like this. Lost to Sipe Miocic, lost to Overeem, lost to Josh Barnett, 
lost to Francis Ngannou, lost to Marcin Tabura, and then he won his last fight against Junior Albini. So, not great, right? Because loss, like what are we looking at? One, two, three, four, five. He's won one fight out of his last six. And he's on the back nine of his career. So for me, <laughs> Andre Orlovsky versus Stefan Struve is like, can we just stand in the middle? Let's just fucking stand on the logo. And let's just see who cracks first. Because it's going to be a stand-up kickboxing fight. That's, that's all this is. And whoever's chin gets connected with first loses. That's it. You're not going to see any technique. You're not going to see a flying uh, arm bar. You're not going to see a, um, you know, a, a kind of a reverse, su a, a suplex to an arm bar like he did when, um, when Mighty Mouse set the record uh, for the, for the most uh, wins, right? You're, you're not going to see that. You're not going to see some Tony Ferguson type ground game off the back, like super aggressive. You're not going to see that. You're not going to see some dominant grappling like Khabib. You're not going to see fantastic um, athleticism like you do with, uh, with, with a Connor or something like that. Nope. This is going to be a fucking 19, uh, 2004 kickboxing match. And I love both these guys. Like I've said to you before, I'm not shitting on anybody because, you know, I don't do it. You know, and it takes a fucking uh, watermelon-sized nutsack to to do what these guys do. And I got nothing but respect for all of them. But let's call a spade a spade and let's be honest with ourselves. If we don't see Stefan Struve and Andre Arlovsky fight again, nobody cares. Nobody fucking cares if we see the skyscraper or the pit bull fight again. Call it a day, boys. Call it a day. This should be it for these guys, I think, after this, in my personal opinion. Stefan Struve is 32-9, and nine, has a heart murmur, and has been K KO'd a, a number of times. Andre Arlovsky, I don't even know how old he is. Let me have a look. He's 39. He's 39. He's 26-15, and 15, and he's lost five out of his last six fights. What are we planning on doing after this fight, are we making a run for the title? I don't think so. So for me, this is a this is just whoever connects first. Who am I going to call in this fight? I mean, you know, let me let me flip a coin real quick. Um, I'm going to go with Stefan Struve. He's got an eight inch reach advantage. Oh, no, sorry. Um, that's not correct. He's got... I don't know what his reach advantage is. He's got a, he's got a, an 8-inch height advantage on Arlovsky. So I'd imagine the, uh, the reach advantage has to be pretty significant as well. Um, I just think from a kickboxing perspective, which I expect this fight to be... <laughs> I, I just I can see Stefan Struve catching Orlovsky before Orlovsky catches Struve, and like I said before, either one of these guys gets touched on the chin, and I think they're going out. 
So we'll see what happens. Um, I don't want to call it a throwaway fight because that's rude and disrespectful to the fighters. But to be honest with you, I don't want to see those guys fight anymore. You know, like Chuck Liddell's talking about fighting again. I, you know, I want to see Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz fight as much as I want to see my grandmother have a scrap in the street. Like, just not something I want to see, you know? It's just, it's not good viewing for me on that. So, I'm all set with uh, Chuck Liddell coming back out of retirement because, Jesus fucking Christ, we don't know the full extent of CTE in combat sports, uh, specifically uh, MMA yet. We know it's there. Undoubtedly, it's there. But if you want an early sign of things to come, go and watch an interview with Chuck Liddell within the last six months, if you can find one. Just go find the most recent one you can find and tell me he should get back into a ring. If you remember the end of his career, his brain was just saying, as soon as your chin gets touched, Chuck, I'm putting us to sleep. Because it had enough. Absolutely had enough. And stringing sentences together is not one of Chuck Liddell's strongest points, um, strongest features at the moment. Because the, he's just been in, I mean, don't get me wrong. He is the ambassador of why we have MMA in the current state that we have it now. He is one of the absolute legends. You know, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, the Iceman is a legend. He is an absolute icon in our sport and be Nothing but respectful when you talk about his legacy. But that does not negate the fact that he should not be lacing his gloves up ever again. It's already not a good story in the final chapters. Want to do just fucking pile on another KO? I just don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I'm not interested in it. It's not why I love the sport. It's not what I want to see the sport reduced to. You know, I don't want to see Hoist Gracie versus Ken Shamrock, man. Like, I don't want to see this shit. I want to see, I want to see the evolution of the sport. I want to see the young guys who are coming up, who have been born, not as jujitsu specialists, not as uh, Muay Thai specialists, not as wrestling uh, specialists, but as MMA specialists. These are the guys that are evolving our sport now. These are the guys that are putting it all together that started training when they're, you know, 9, 10, 12, 13, and they've trained only MMA. Like a Rory McDonald. You know? This is the evolution of our sport. Putting it all together, putting it all together, and being the most complete fighter possible. Most complete fighter possible. Not the best. Back in the day, it was fucking amazing, right? When it was um, when it was karate versus jujitsu or it was wrestling versus boxing or, you know, that's all fine. We've evolved past that now. So just being a kickboxer like Chuck Liddell is, just, it just doesn't, it doesn't interest me anymore. 
especially in old time. Now, if you've got a guy like uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who is just a fucking unbelievable savant of a striker and he's a point style karate guy who then trains with the likes of like Chris Weidman and um, Matt Serra and, you know, those guys who are giving him that wrestling uh, credential as well. Okay, that I can see because that is an evolution within the fight game uh, and that fighter's own attributes, right? He's evolving his own attributes. But you can't just be a kickboxer. It just doesn't work anymore. And not only that, but Chuck Liddell's 40 or 40 plus years old. I don't know exactly how old he is, but a 40-year-old with the type of career that Chuck Liddell has puts him around the 65-year-old mark, in my opinion, and he has no business coming back. I can't say, you know, I can't say don't come back because he's a fucking legend. Do what you want to do. It's your life at the end of the day. Who am I to say? Who am I to judge? But unfortunately, I am judging because when a person's health is only going to be substantially made worse by making a decision that they don't need to make, or maybe he does need to make it. I don't know what his bank account says, but it's just sad. And I don't want to see it because it's a terrible end to the story. And it's a terrible way of, you know, I don't want to see Dr. J try to play basketball now. You know, I don't even want to see MJ play basketball now. Leave the legacy where it belongs. And that's in the period that it was established. And let's be nostalgic about that and reminisce about that. Let's not regurgitate it to try to relive it or reignite some fire behind it. Leave it alone. Because the type of shit that I do want to see is that which is on the, the fight after Stefan Struve and Andre Orlovsky. And it's the fight before the co-main, so uh, a really good position for this kid. <clears throat> and I think that the UFC is, again, you know, similar to, similar to what they're probably hoping with Mackenzie Dern is for, uh, for this next guy who's fighting on the third, you know, the co-co-main event, um, as it were, Sean O'Malley. So Sean O'Malley came off of, um, Sean O'Malley came off of the contender series that Dana White does. And, uh, I, I don't know if he won it. Did he win it? Um, Yeah, I think he did. Um, so they, so basically, I'm trying to think how, if you haven't seen Sean O'Malley. So Sean O'Malley's like 22, 23 years old, skinny dude, fights at, what does he fight at, 145? He's a bantamweight fighter, right? So he's like 22, 23 years old, tall kid, uh, skinny. Um, he is a stand-up guy, creative fighter. Yair Rodriguez with the spinning techniques, things like that. Um, you know, good counter-striker. Um, you know, bit wild, bit all over the place. You know, will throw up weird techniques, will throw... You know, spinning roundhouse kicks, uh, spinning heel kicks, 
followed by you know three punch combos and a spinning um, spinning elbow. You know he's one of these guys, like real flamboyant type of fluid fighter, bit crazy, bit all over the place, but exciting, exciting and dynamic. And he's a finisher, and he goes after it. My criticism so far of going back and watching his fights is he definitely gets hit. He definitely gets hit. He leaves himself open after he throws these wild combinations and puts himself in a position where he's been cracked a few times. And, I mean, there's only a couple of fights to watch of this guy, but I watched um, him fight this uh, Kashakian guy uh, on the Contender Series. You know, and he, and he did good work on him, but he got cracked a bunch of times. And then I saw him fight Terry uh, and Ware. And Terry and Ware was putting it on him and was winning the fight, in my opinion. But then he got, um, I think it was the third round where he started connecting with him. He was counter-striking well, and, and he just got caught. And I think Terry's cardio let him down a little bit. He got a little bit sloppy in the late rounds. And, um, and, he got the finish. Uh, Sean O'Malley got the finish. So he's a really exciting fighter. Now, is he anywhere near the level of an Israel um, Adesanya or Will Bellinger? Not, not really. Not in my opinion. Not yet. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to see how he does in this fight um, against Andre uh, Sukamanth. Uh, I'm definitely saying his. Uh, last name wrong, so apologies on that. But Sean O'Malley's nine and zero. Obviously, you know only two fights that we've really had anything to to look at. But exciting, exciting style. Kind of like I said, Lucy and kind of flamboyant in his striking. But he seems like he's up for it. He seems like he's got a good personality. Seems like he, um, you know, he's quite marketable. He's a gamer, so there's that angle. You can bring the Twitch audience into him. Um, you know, so so some good things to say about about Sean O'Malley for sure. But the verdict is most definitely still out on him because you know, like guys like Yair Rodriguez found out when you go up against it and you've actually got to fight a guy because Yair Rodriguez was like, okay, you know, he's the next one. And then there was, um, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, Bruce Leroy. Ah, fuck. I forget his name. Um, you know, who are similar to this. They're, they're long and rangy and fluid and they like to throw spinning techniques and, and, and different bits like that. And they're very exciting and very kind of dynamic with their striking, very creative and then they fight a guy like Frankie Edgar, who we'll talk about in a minute because he's our co-main event and should have been the main event, but um, Max Holloway got fucking hurt, which sucks. But um, we see these styles and they're fucking great and they're fun to watch and they're exciting to see and you never know what's going to come, right? And there's always that opportunity of seeing that kind of Anthony Pettis off the cage roundhouse kick to Benson Henderson. And there's always those kind of flying arm bars or those spinning back fists or those, you know, whatever it may be. But then you fight a wrestler like Frankie Edgar and he puts you on your back and his cardio is better than yours and he runs you into the fucking ground and makes you want to give up everything you believe in. What will this fight be like for Sean O'Malley? Will it be his coming out party? Or will he go up against a guy who is predominantly a boxer, 
who's coming off of a win um, two months ago, a couple of losses before that. But if, I mean, it's, it's kind of clear, right? They've given, they've given Sean O'Malley, Andre Sukaman 10th, uh, Sukamanthith, Sukamanthith, <laughs> um, I've got that name so wrong, but apologies. Um, we just call him Sukaham. Um, they've clearly given Sean O'Malley uh, Andre Sukaham because he's a striker. And this give, this should theoretically give Sean O'Malley the opportunity to have a coming out party, kind of, so to speak. You know, he can demonstrate his skill set. He can put on a variety of different techniques. You know, do all the stuff that I just mentioned. This is this is a matchup for him to do that and to come out and kind of, you know, stamp himself as like, you know, do that big kind of um, promo cut at the end of the fight, you know, get a good win. It's all set up for him to do that. And they've done this on purpose because he's a young and up-and-coming fighter. Mackenzie Dern, same thing. You know, they want to be able to profile the next potential lot of superstars. And again, way too early to tell anything about what O'Malley could bring to the table. But he's one of those guys that, he see, that if he has a really strong performance, you'll start seeing him on social. you start seeing him on Instagram. you start seeing him on the promos a bit more. You know, they'll give him that. And, uh, and they'll help kind of bring him along. So I think it's set up for him to have a really good fight and a really good, um, a really good performance and kind of put himself on the map, as it were, and cut a nice little promo. Joe should be there. So, you know, <coughs> he's always good for it as well, uh, Mr. Rogan. Uh, so we'll see. But Andre Sukamonth is, um, you know, still a tough competitor. But I think they've given this matchup a little bit of padding for O'Malley in terms of saying, okay, let's see what you can do. Go and show us, kid. And if you can bring it and you can put on a show, third fight from the main event, you're going to have all the fucking eyeballs on you. So go out and do your thing and we can help make you a star. And then we'll put that kind of money behind you that we put behind, you know, Paige Van Zandt or Sage Northcutt who, you know, have effectively, in my opinion, fizzled out to just be journeyman fighters. Neither of those guys are ever going to be title holders. Let's get that right. <coughs> They're both completely overhyped. And I don't blame the UFC for putting, you know, eggs in those baskets because they're easy to put on posters. They're easy to put on promos. They're easy to put on, you know, TV and do interviews with and, and that sort of thing. So I, I get it. Sean O'Malley's in that hope, I think, for them. And this is his opportunity to kind of step up a level. So I'm going to go with him. I don't know what the odds are. Like I said, I haven't checked. But I'm going to go with him. And I'm going to take him. <coughs> I am going to take Sean O'Malley by triangle in the second round. How's that for a fucking prediction?
Yeah, that could be that could be a real Samsonite moment. You know, I was way off. You know, um, I'm not sure, but I think just looking at the matchup, it looks like it's been teed up for him. You know, so slippy, slappy, swami, Samsonite. I was way off. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm, I'm going to go with O'Malley. I'm going to go via submission, second round, and I think it's going to be by a triangle because I think um, some of the stuff that I've seen, he, he can throw up quick techniques like that. And if he starts lighting up Andre Sukamanth on, uh, on the feet, Sukamanth might want to take him down. And if he shoots for him, there's a real opportunity that that he could get uh, that he could get a submission on that. So we'll see, we'll see. But I'm calling second round submission via uh, triangle choke. And I'll tell you what, if you bet on that and it actually happens, the numbers on that have to be fucking incredible. So let's see, let's see. But more importantly, moving on. Now, we're in the co-main event, which should have and was originally scheduled to be the main event, like I just said. So the main event on UFC 222 was slated for Frankie Edgar versus Max Holloway for the 145-pound title. <coughs> Max Holloway got injured. They didn't have a replacement. They brought Cyborg in as the main event with Kuniskaya, and then they got Brian Ortega to take Max Holloway's position to fight Frankie Edgar, which is now the co-main event on, um, on UFC 222. Featherweight title contention fight. Now, I'm super interested in this fight. Super interested in this fight. Because Frankie Edgar is one of the greatest fighters of all time. Let's be absolutely clear on that. Unmatched cardio, unmatched heart, resiliency, wrestling, just pedigree out the ass, like just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. You know, Frank Yeager is just one of those guys. I want to just put something in perspective for you guys, okay? Um, so Frank Yeager, <coughs> Frank Yeager is 21 and 5. 21 and 5. So 21 and 5. And Frankie Edgar's only lost to three people in his life. Benson Henderson, Jose Aldo, and Gray Maynard. The Gray Maynard loss was, what, fucking six years ago? Seven years ago? And it was just... It was just a war, Right? But he redeemed himself on that because him and Gray Maynard, as you know, had one of the greatest trilogies that, you know, that we've ever seen. 
And Frankie showed zombie-like resilience in those fights, you know, being KO'd, coming back and KO'ing Gray Maynard. So he got that one back right after they got a draw um, in their second fight, I believe it was. But the only other two people that have even notched a, a, um, a win against uh, Frankie are Benson Henderson and Jose Aldo, who he lost to twice and they just had his number, right? Other than that, he's beaten everybody. He's beaten everybody. Like, just looking at it. BJ Penn, he's beaten three times. Cub Swanson, he's beaten. Uriah Faber, Chad Mendes, Jeremy Stevens, Yair Rodriguez. I mean, Frankie is just the man, right? He's just an ultimate professional savage wrestler, savage striker, savage cardio. You know, there there is not a bad thing to say about Frankie other than the fact that he's long in the tooth. And when does time catch up and say, you've had enough, pal, that's it. It's not from anything I've seen in his past performances because his last fight was May of last year against Jair Rodriguez. And everybody was kind of like saying, oh, I don't know, this Jair Rodriguez kid... Um, you know, again, similar to the Sean O'Malley type of fighter, you know, he's, he's just, you know, he's a new up and coming guy and, and, you know, is it going to be too much for Frankie? Is it going to be too quick? Is it going to be too young, too dynamic? And Frankie was like, excuse me, let me put you on your back and beat the shit out of you for fucking 15, 20 minutes. Let me see how you feel about that. And he just beat the piss out of you, are you Rodriguez? It was like, take a seat, young fella. I'm not done yet. Frankie is the fucking man, hands down, okay? One of the top 10 best fighters of all time. No question. No question. The only X factor is when that ruthless bitch, Mother Time, comes and knocks on your door and says, that's it. You had your time. Because when she comes knocking, you don't know when. But when she's there, the results are inevitable. It's over. That's it. But Frankie hasn't hit that yet. We haven't seen that from Frankie yet. His fight against Chad Mendez was amazing. KO'd him. His fight against Jeremy Stevens, who is just fucking knocking everybody out devastating 145-er, you know, Frankie dealt with that. He lost to Jose Aldo. Um, I think that was a decision. Um, but what he did to Yair Rodriguez was hilarious. And my only X factor is whether or not the youth of his opponent, who we'll get into in a minute, is is going to be that much, just that touch more, right? Yair Rodriguez is an amazing athlete, but he wasn't ready for Frankie. Brian Ortega is a young guy, but he just is different. And, and what I've seen of Brian Ortega is just incredible, right? So... Brian Ortega's 13-0. He's 27 years old. 
Nickname's T-City. And I'm talking to guys out there that may not know about Brian Ortega yet. Um, for those of you that do, will know kind of what I'm going to talk about. Um, maybe. Uh, but for, for, for anybody that doesn't know who Brian Ortega is, go and YouTube him. Go and Google some of his fights. Okay? Because he is, in my opinion, right up there with Jacare and Damian Maya in terms of his grappling, his MMA grappling ability. I mean, he is a teacher at Henner Gracie's Jiu-Jitsu. I think it's Henner Gracie. Um, yeah, I think it's Henner Gracie. He's a teacher at Henner Gracie's Jiu-Jitsu Academy. He's not, not a student. He teaches at the greatest, or one of, certainly one of the greatest Jiu-Jitsu Academies on the fucking planet. The squeeze that Brian Ortega has. His nickname's T-City because he, he would just keep locking people up in, in triangles, right? And once he locks it in at the speed of light, you're fucked. There's, it's like kind of a boa constrictor, right? The more you wiggle, it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter and you can hold that squeeze all day long. I mean, when he fought Cub Swanson, he effectively submitted him twice. And it was only because he got saved by the bell, Cub Swanson got saved by the bell at the end of the first round, that he even made it into the second round because he would have been asleep had Brian Ortega had maybe six more seconds, five more seconds, he would have been out. But he came back in the second round, Brian Ortega was like, yeah, yeah, funny, uh, let me just lock up a standing guillotine on you like that. And oh, when you go to adjust it, let me just crank that in a little bit more and put you, uh, put you to night nights, you know? His grappling is fucking next level and real, real dangerous, right? So if you break him down, 65% of, uh, of his attacks are grappling-based or submission-based attacks. So what is he doing in terms of his stand-up? Well, his stand-up looks better every fight. <coughs> he, it's, it's nothing to sneeze at, but he's known He's known for his submissions. He's known for his grappling. He's known for his grip. Um, and if he gets Frankie in it, I, I don't think Frankie's ever been submitted in his career. But if there's anybody that stands a chance of doing it, it's Ortega. Because I don't think that Frankie Edgar has ever faced a guy like Ortega's grappling. Like he's fought some amazing grapplers. Like he, you know, fought Chad Mendez when Chad Mendez was clearly juiced up. Um, you know, he's fought you know some 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 powerhouses. But I just think that I just think Ortega's jiu-jitsu is on another level, and I don't think Frankie's ever fought somebody who's who's got this sort of MMA jiu-jitsu. Like I said, I think he's right up there with uh, Damian Maya in terms of his effectiveness uh, with his MMA jiu-jitsu. So looking back on it, like I said, he basically submitted Cub Swanson twice in that fight, um, ended up getting the win, fight of the night. He's gotten a few fight of the nights, by the way. Um, submitted uh, Renato uh, Mo Mocano, Mosano, uh, his fight before that. I believe it was, just looking back on it now, uh, yeah, submitted him as well, um, fight before that, he beat Clay Guida, and he beat Clay Guida, let me just look, 
back quickly because I don't remember. That was a TKO victory on that one. Then he beat Diego Brandao. He beat um, Tiago Tavares. So he is on one, two, three, four, five. He's on a five-fight win streak coming into this fight against Frankie Edgar. And I love Frankie Edgar. And I think anybody that bets against Frankie Edgar is, is fucking nuts. However, I think Brian Ortega is going to beat him. And that's a long, that's a hard call for me to make. That's a real hard call for me to make. Yeah, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Ortega on that one. I just... The thing is, like, sorry for that long, uncomfortable silence there. I'm just thinking about it, right? Because I just feel like, whereas Frankie's wrestling is always an attribute, the level of the level of jujitsu that Brian Ortega has almost takes away that as an attribution because of how dynamic Ortega is. I just feel like he can submit Frankie from from anywhere and, and not, not saying that Frankie Edgar is is easy to submit because it's never happened before but I just think that that's how high level Brian Ortega's game is so I think if Frankie so I, I think Frankie almost has to stand with him because if he takes him down I think he's just too dangerous on the ground so I'm gonna I'm gonna move on because we've been going for about an hour and 20 minutes and uh I'm sure I've done a lot of waffling on this but I just want to give my thoughts on shit uh, and the main event's going to be relatively quick. So um, I'm going to go with Brian Ortega to stay undefeated, 14-0. and And it hurts my heart to go against Frankie Edgar. But I just feel like... I just feel like Brian Ortega's game is 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 on the rise. And, and his attributes just combat well with Frankie. But it's a super interesting fight. And I'm I'm really looking forward to it. But I'm going with Ortega. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go with Ortega. I'm going to go with Ortega via submission. In... Second round submission again. Second round submission again. Let's go. And it's going to be a guillotine or a fucking uh, triangle. Because that's what he does. Okay, and then finally, and then we'll wrap it up after this, guys. I'll give you a recap of all my picks, and then we'll get the fuck out of here. But basically, uh, main card sees the greatest female fighter of all time take on somebody I've never fucking heard before, heard of before. Yana Kunitskaya, who is fighting out of um, Jackson Winklejohn's uh, camp in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And there's absolutely no information on the UFC website about the challenger in a female title fight from the 140 division. I mean, you're trying to grow this division. Again, I started out the podcast saying this. Get some fucking information about your fighters. She was over in Invicta. She was a champion in Invicta. And the UFC owns Invicta. Get some goddamn stats. Get your web developers or your content people on this. She's a good-looking girl. 
And you've got a fucking shadow on the tail of the tape page against Cyborg. What happens if she wins? I don't think she's gonna. I don't think she's going to. I think Cyborg is just... I think she's just too much for anybody. But how can I compare them? I got no fucking stats to go off of. So... Our breakdown for the main event on this card is going to be a quick one. I think Cyborg is going to put it on her. I think her, her wherever they want to take this fight, Cyborg is going to win. Because I think Kunitskaya is a kickboxer. Um, for the most part. But again, I got to go watch... Um, I got to go watch some of these embedded... But I, I can't bet against Cyborg. How the fuck are you going to bet, bet against Cyborg? Like, she's the she's the greatest female fighter of all time. Right? Like, they bring this girl over to from Invicta because she's got nobody to fight. So, I, I wouldn't bank on an unknown just coming in and, and whooping her ass. But I do expect... I do expect a more competitive fight than I would have, say, a year ago um, with anybody that matches up with Cyborg. And that's simply, that's not due to any other reason other than Cyborg has decided not to be such a uh, rampaging berserker of a fighter. She's much more methodical in her last few fights. She's much more considered, much more technical. She's managing her output and managing her cardio in her last few fights. And she looks incredible as a result. You know, I think gone are the days where she charges in just hoping to steamroll women uh, and just batter them into oblivion. She's she's much more technical. Um, so that's why her fights seem more competitive. But ultimately, they're not. Um, she's still fucking up everybody she fights. And I always think about it because, like, Ronda Rousey was always talking shit about Cyborg, right? And saying she wanted that fight and she, that was, you know, that was what she was looking for. Can you imagine if Cyborg and Ronda Rousey would have fought? Like, Ronda Rousey wouldn't be able to do public appearances anymore. She would have gotten the shit kicked out of her so fucking bad. Like, Cyborg is such on another level in terms of MMA than Ronda Rousey w was ever, even at the height of her stardom. There was no comparison in terms of the skill set between Cyborg and, and Ronda Rousey. And Cyborg has affected, I mean, you know, she fought Holly Holm and, you know, Holly Holm caught her a few times. And I think, you know, Cyborg had a bit of a fat lip, but she just took her time, picked her apart, put the work in. And um, yeah, she's just, she's just next level. She's a great, she's, a, she's the female goat, right? She's the greatest of all time. Um... And it's just a shame that she didn't get the notoriety or the um, the promotion behind her the way someone like Ronda Rousey did because she could have been worldwide. And then you start to see Cyborg in these interviews and she's a sweetheart. She's really soft-spoken. You know, she's really considerate. She's all about family. You know, she's had a tough life growing up. So there's a story there. Her trials and tribulations to get where she's at, to be this like, you know, from her PED infractions to like coming back from those to, um, you know, kind of changing the narrative about her being a cheater and, you know, all of that stuff. And, and she's come back and like, again, another like, you know, another dumb and dumber moment, like totally redeemed yourself. 
you know, in my opinion, anyways, I, I don't think of, of Cyborg as a steroid uh, freak or a cheater. I think of her as something completely different. And again, if I'm the UFC marketing personnel, I get behind her. I get behind her and push, push, push. Get her out there. No, she's not the most poster-friendly person in the world, but she's she's a good person from, from what I've seen. You know, it's the same with Amanda Nunez. Like, she's a champ, and you don't hear anything in the way of promotion from the UFC. You've got these stars there waiting with these stories. She's an openly, uh, openly, I'm talking Amanda Nunez, uh, openly gay, her... Uh, I think, is it her coach or her training partner that she's um, engaged to or dating or whatever? I mean, current climate of, of, of news and media and, you know, social issues and things like that. And you've got these girls there like this that come through the favelas of Brazil and come through these hardships to make it out to be these champion fighters and breaking down... Um, you know, social constructs in terms of like gay, lesbian, you know, um, initiatives and, 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 and empowerment and things like that. And you've got this, this girl there who fucking destroyed Ronda Rousey in her comeback, put everybody on quiet street. And then they just put her in a corner. And nothing I mean, it's just, it's, it's a fucking joke. It's a shame. And I think the UFC is doing a terrible job um, in a lot of respects with a lot of their fighters. And they're trying to go, you know, then I see Dana White posing with Brock Lesnar. Like, you want to see that prick back in the UFC. And I hear people saying, well, oh, well, he'll come back and, and, uh, and maybe we'll have the John Jones and Brock Lesnar fight. Fucking who cares? I don't. Give a fuck about Brock Lesnar. I don't want to see him in the UFC. I don't want to see him fight. Okay, if he fights John Jones, of course I'm going to watch. Everybody's going to watch. But then fuck off and go away again. I don't want to see anything to do with it. Let's get the purity back in this sport. You got fucking CM Punk on the roster talking about, you know, the, the rumor mills of him fighting Floyd Mayweather. Like, give me a break. Of course, I'm going to watch all of these fucking spectacles, but the purity of the games. Why I went away from the NBA. They took defense out of it. They took all the purity and the hard work out of basketball. And now it's a pussy little fucking league of like people who wear ripped shirts and think it's fashionable and worry more about what hat they got on their fucking head than grinding out a game like Kobe would with a torn Achilles tendon. Stop marginalizing these fucking sports as bullshit entertainment. You can do both. But let's champion the champions we've got in the sport and raise them up to elevate the entire sport, the entire organization, and not seem like we're just resting on these sideshow gimmick matchups that are going to be, you know, spiked pay-per-view buys. Because you're playing a short game. You're not playing the long game. The long game is to develop your roster. Make these guys personable. Give them training. If they're a bit shy or a bit introverted or whatever. At least to be able to cut a fucking promo. At least 
allow them the opportunity to cut a promo. Put your money behind them. Put your efforts behind them. See what happens. And stop putting all your fucking eggs in one basket. I love Conor McGregor as much, if not more, than anybody else that watches MMA. But also, like all these fucking fighters that I've talked about today, for a whole range of reasons. And then I watch the UFC website for the matchups that are going on this weekend, and you give me a shadow for the challenger on the main event. Fuck out of here. So anyways, I'm going to go with Cyborg because I don't know too much about Kunitskaya. Um, I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, 10 and 3 from Russia. Let's see. I think you're a kickboxer. Let's see. Let's see. But my money's on Cyborg. So, recap on the event for my picks. And again, don't go throwing your wages on this, but this is who I'm picking. I'm picking Hector Lombard. I'm picking I'm picking Hector Lombard to beat CB Dalloway. I'm picking Pedro Munoz to beat John Dodson. I'm picking Benil Dariush to beat Alexander Hernandez. I'm picking Mackenzie Dern over Ashley Yoda Yoder by submission. I'm taking Caitlin Vieira over Kat Zinganu. I'm taking Stefan Struve over Andre Orlowski. I'm taking Sean O'Malley over Andre Sukamanth. I'm taking Brian Ortega to beat Frankie Edgar. And I'm taking Chris Cyborg to beat Yana Kunitskaya. And that's a wrap. That's the event. Again, let's recap it for you. It's going to be Sunday, March the 4th. So that's actually like Saturday night, 3 a.m., right? So Sunday morning. So it's a Saturday night fight. So if you record it, I said at the beginning, you can watch it Monday. Actually, I, I believe it's going to be the case where you can watch it on Sunday um, because it's I got my timings wrong on that. So in the UK, BT Sport, UFC Fight Pass, if you haven't downloaded that, that's always an option. I had it, got rid of it because I think it's pretty shit, to be honest. Um but great load of content in there. Every fight you can imagine. Um, and there's some uh, Eddie Bravo um, jiu-jitsu tournaments in there. The EBIs are on there as well. Um, but with this event, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas, will be shown at 3 a.m. the main card. Which means the prelims will start at 1. Uh, 1 a.m. I believe on BT Sport. Uh, and it's saying just normal BT Sport. But check... BT Sport 1, BT Sport 2, and BT Sport 3. Um, and it will definitely be on one of those. And the prelims start at 1 a.m. Um, GMT. Main card, 3 a.m. And it should be a banger. So that's my thoughts on it, guys. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the breakdown. God knows how we've done an hour and a half on it, but there you go. Um, I'm going to get this up and uh, up and out so it's, uh, so it's available on SoundCloud this afternoon so you guys can download that um let me know your thoughts who you've got you know who, who, who are your picks and where did i get it right where did i get it wrong 
we we don't know because it's the fight game. Um, but hopefully, uh, hopefully more right than more wrong, right? Or what the fuck am I doing here talking about it in the first place? Um, so that's it, guys. UFC 222 preview done and dusted. We're gonna say goodbye. There's no point in sticking around. Um, we're not gonna talk about anything else today. We'll come back next week and uh, and do a normal normal kind of recap of this event and then anything else that's been going on in the news um, and in our lives that we might want to talk about. So um, thanks for listening. SoundCloud as always, guys. Social media, Quiet Part Loud on Twitter. Uh, check out our Facebook page where you can get access to all of the um, current and past episodes of the podcast. And as always, guys, thanks for your support. Uh, we love you. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, until next time, all the best. <laughs>